Well, here's a news flash for you. What news? Tell us a story. Yes, tell us a story. What is this? Good news, bad news? Gone all summer without a scrap of news. Good news and bad news. That's good news. If I'm gonna do this, I'll need my news team at my side. News team assemble! Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Movie News Network, the official podcast of MovieNewsNet.com. I'm Alex Newman. I'm Derby Hearn. And on today's show we'll be breaking down the final episode of Hawkeye. So this is Christmas. This is a big one, Darby. We've taken a little break for for Christmas, um, so now we're back to. So this is Christmas. What did you think of the final episode? We've wrapped it up. What did you think? We're gonna we'll start off here. We'll start off just on the episode, and then we'll expand how you thought of the season of a whole. What did you think? Um, I liked it. I liked it a lot. There's some bits in this that are my favorite parts of uh, some of my favorite scenes in the MCU this year. Uh, thinking specifically of Kate and Yelena, who are my favorite new pair, my my favorite duo. Um, and but overall plot wise, and then plus Vincent D'Onofrio, Kingpin. Uh, plot wise, though, story wise, this really didn't come together. This really felt flat. Uh, you know, the mysteries weren't really mysteries. It was just sort of just all sort of folded up neatly and um that was it how about you what did you think yeah i think very similar it just sort of ended and i was like <laughs> oh cool like that's good i guess like you know uh yeah i i liked it overall and i think there were some top points that I, and i have something to say about endings in general this year for the for the Marvel series a bit later on. Okay. Um, I've seen a couple people say it, you know, that maybe the, you know, we're, we're being harsh on, people have been quite harsh on this episode, but really I think people might have been just too lenient on the previous final episodes. Um, this, I think, was a solid episode. We got a mix of action, we got some character work. Um, some of our theories, some of your theories were correct, Darby, so, yes. you know, there we go, that's what we like to see. This is, um, you can't see it at home, folks, but I'm patting myself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, like, the we, we start off, we, you know, we instantly jump into a bit of Fisk, though, we get like, I was worried, you know, we weren't going to get much of him, or he'd be a big bad for season two, yeah. or they'd beat around the bush, but legit, opening scene of, is him walking in, and there is a difference, uh, you know, for for all its faults and and goods and bads, the Netflix MCU series were dark. They were shot darkly. Everything was grim. Everything looks very very dirty. This obviously he's wearing his classic Hawaiian shirt from the comic books. Yes, and things look a little cleaner. Did, was that a bit of a uh, was that like a transitional thing for you? Did you were you a little? I was a little taken back for a couple of seconds. It was a little bit, but I I did immediately. You know, I pegged the the shirt uh, from the comics, and I, I sort of realized that this is uh, more. I well, let me back up. I I thought the same as you. I thought we'd get at best a scene with uh, Kingpin, yeah. and it would be sort of a tease. So I was v- surprised and very enthusiastic for everything that we got. I did not expect any of that. And I love Vincent D'Onofrio. He's he is uh, I, I, he's a really great actor in general. He has been for a long time, but he's excellent as Kingpin. And right from the get go, this is the Kingpin from Netflix. And by that I mean he's portraying him the same. We don't get anything one way or the other that says 
whether or not the Netflix Marvel shows are canon. We're, we didn't get that. I hope maybe we would get something. But so we, yeah. we still don't know if they're legit canon, if this is just a different version of Kingpin. There's some circumstantial evidence to suggest this could be a different version because his just Wilson's power level is way higher than it was in the Netflix show. Yeah. But there could be reasons for that. Maybe we'll talk about that when we get there at the end. But um but aside from that, this is this is this is our man. This is Wilson from the show from the Daredevil from the Netflix shows and I I loved it. It was fantastic. He just fit right in. And um and the comic book stuff, the Hawaiian shirt, uh the purple pants in the very first scene with Eleanor He's wearing his classic comic book Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 52 costume, the white blazer, the purple pants, the cane. He's got it all going on. It's fantastic. Which I think was probably a smart move. I think probably two, even if it is the same version of the character and it's all canon, just to differentiate, I suppose, just the differences, just to be like, oh, like, time's moved on. He's a different guy now, like, not that different, but it's not. We, we're not going to try and, like, hone in on the MC on the uh, Netflix version. We're just going to go, this is the same guy playing the same character, moving on. Yeah. And it is. it has been one of the sort of staples of this year of the, the Disney series, MCU series, is that they're, they are going a bit more comic-styled for their costumes. You know, they, 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 you know they, got, they get Clint and Kate in their purple. They do that kind of thing. And so... Definitely. It would kind of fit the theme that they're sort of keeping the this comic accuracy. That's a great thing, especially for nerds like me who've been doing this for a long time. It's the MCU started always from a place of, of reverence and respect for the comics, but in the last few years as the MCU has sort of solidified and they they've taken more liberties and just sort of indulging the comic book visual part of that and you see that in the scarlet witch you see that in hawkeye and kate you see that in kingpin here you see that in spider-man at the very end of no way home was wearing his classic four color comic book steve ditko costume at the very end of the movie uh if you haven't listened to our pod folks the three hour pod on no way home <laughs> that alex and i did you should absolutely check that out um so and i love that because I, I love the the for more more or less the comic book costumes work because they're really good designs some of them are not some of the mcu costumes are vast improvements um but things like wilson just putting him in a suit so you got the classic 60s suit and then you immediately in the next scene you have the hawaiian shirt which is actually from the late 90s early 2000s and apparently vincent d'onofrio said in an interview that he has a framed uh, poster of that image of kingpin from the comics on his wall in his office, which is fantastic. Um, so I'm all about that. I love that. And I love, I, I, if this is a different version of Kingpin, if they're pushing him more towards an MCU sort of Kingpin, I'm okay with that too. We'll find out more, I think, very quickly here uh, as we get into 2022 about both Daredevil and Kingpin and how this is going to yeah. work with Netflix. But one thing I would have liked just to tease, just because I'm, I need, I'm that kind of guy, I, I would have liked some slight, reference to those shows or something that would have gave me some sense of direction yeah true i suppose now maybe they don't even know you know like yeah. you know faggy's probably you know keep it tight locked up where are we going to go with this what are we going to what where are the pawns moving yeah well probably yeah as you said in this coming year we'll find out i i liked it and i think it's good but i think they do want to separate themselves because they're never going to be able to match the pure like goriness r-ratedness of those of those netflix shows no. just the door the the head slamming in the door kind of stuff they're just not going they're just not allowed to so 
it is there is always going to be the detractors people that are going to say oh well i preferred it when it was like violent and it's like sure. they're 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 stepping around that i think and they've done it well it's an interesting discussion we get opening up i think this is probably something that you might agree with me here that, that it's a little it feels again a little lackluster that it's like oh eleanor works for kingpin because yeah. he owed her husband owed money to him it's like like i guess you know what I mean? Like, I, get, I was like a plot point, and I was like, yeah, I guess it works. It does, in the sense that we called it in the first episode, and, and I, I think most people sort of centered on the fact that it was Eleanor, because Jack, as a red herring, was just too obvious. It is that just they The show worked too hard. It didn't invest anything. A major critique I would have of the structure of the show is that it doesn't introduce enough. It tries to do a mystery box. There's no mystery. This typical of mystery boxes, there's actually no mystery inside. If they had wanted to play with this and establish some sort of real mystery and, and intrigue around the death of Armand, who most people probably forgot even existed by the time we got to the finale, then... Oh, definitely. Maybe the way to <laughs> have approached that differently was to have introduced Yelena as soon as possible much earlier than they did and, and present her she would be a plausible candidate to have killed Armand in pursuit of Ronan so uh, knowing that it wouldn't be her but it, it'd be just for the general audience um so and I would say the same with Kingpin I understand the gambit with Kingpin because they they structured this show and the release with No Way Home to you know trigger this sort of you know Christmas week sort of excitement but I would have also introduced uh, Kingpin uh, right in that flashback with Maya in episode three. I would have dispensed with all that, and I would have taken the opportunity to to build those relationships with Maya, with Kazi, uh, with Eleanor, and and not mess around with any funny business with the mystery, and just let the drama kind of congeal and build. Because some of the stuff that happens at the very end with Kingpin and Maya and Kazi doesn't land. Uh, the emotional resonances doesn't work. And it leaves a big question mark, I think, for the viewers because it all seems to happen very suddenly and, and then leaves you like, "What? wait, that's it? So um, so there's multiple problems, I think, uh, with the show. Yeah. In, that's a, sort of a, the show in general. But No, I agree. And it, and it is a sort of a weird thing that, again, if you, if you didn't watch the Netflix series, which a lot of people didn't, and if you don't know who Kingpin is, which why would you really if you weren't a massive comic book fan yep. or, or watched the Netflix series... It's sort of a bit of an odd one because it's a bit like they've introduced this guy and then he ta he doesn't even take up that much screen time. You know, I think you could argue he's in it. He's in it a lot, or he's not in it enough. Yeah. But introducing him in episodes, you know, like for all intents and purposes, episode six, like we can't really count the picture at the end of episode five. That's exciting on a meta level, but it's not very. It's if if they'd done this with a random, you'd be like, who is this superpowered being that gets to turn up in the last episode and chuck Kate around? While and then like and then is now, you um, Maya's fake father, like her uh, her foster father, like right. the like you said, like if they'd have done this earlier, they could have like harbored though that we could have seen almost this weird like we see that in we have seen that before with with Fisk that softer side to him, yeah. the side of love, the family side. Fisk's always been a very interesting in the into the Spider Verse as well. He's always got a very interesting dynamic, and in that he is this ruthless criminal this ruthless uh like mafia criminal gang boss but he is also a very loving family man um, very much so. and he loves keeping those you know and he keeps those as 
very, very separated. And so it would have been cool to almost see that mix where he had sort of adopted this 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 little girl because he'd killed her dad, and then sort of or like ordered the hit, and then sort of fostered her sort of upbringing. Um, and and it, I think it just came on a little too quickly, and we were supposed to just believe it because we've been told to believe it rather than feeling it. That's it, exactly. And we're meant to infer a lot. And, and if you come at it from the comic books like I did, you've got some background. So especially the very end of the episode, uh, you know, I, I have an understanding of what's happening and what's going to happen next. But as a casual viewer, you're like, well, what is that? I mean, is that just, that's just the end. But then at the same time, you don't want you don't want the comic books to be some sort of crutch for understanding what we're seeing on screen it can't be because you're the 75 80 percent of your audience is not going to be familiar with it and then the other thing is like you said with with wilson you have so much opportunity to draw this is a character that for all intents and purposes is a new character he's certainly new to the mcu so this is your chance to introduce him and they lean very heavily on your prior knowledge of the Netflix show and then also the comic books. And beyond that, they do very little work at all to sort of introduce you to this man. And, and, and that doesn't work entirely. It works for us because, you know, we're familiar with all of it. But just from a storytelling point of view, just for a, a blind viewer going in, they, it, it, I don't think it probably worked. They probably were like, who is this guy? Why should I care? Oh, and he, now he's dead. And so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of weird, you know, you sort of have Kazi positioned as Maya's sort of, I guess, partner or brother or however you want to put it. Or boyfriend. Or boyfriend or like yeah. they sort of keep it very or vague or whatever. Yeah. You know, like she's important to him. And so the fact that then that there's a little bit more emotional resonance there for his betrayal, but it doesn't quite work in the upward stream of like father figure for Kingpin because you essentially get one scene of them chatting where she's like nah i'm not really f i'm just gonna go away for a few days and he's then like cool she's portrayed us i know what that means let's kill her right um, right it's it's that very genuine love that wilson has for his family which is real we saw it with vanessa in the netflix show we see it with maya but then he's like nah we gotta kill her dude <laughs> yeah like she's she's off the deep end like what a shame kazi take her out like that's what we gotta do um yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not. Yeah, it's it's an interesting first couple of scenes. You know, again, like you said, people have forgotten Armand. Like, you know, what I mean, we find out that yeah, Eleanor killed Armand. It's like, oh, cool, I guess. Like, you know, like that was the first episode, and we sort of so, moved on very quickly from that. Let me ask you a question then about sort of this mystery box. So, if Eleanor was working for Kingpin, why did Kingpin need to bust into the private auction to steal things that Eleanor ostensibly could have just bought? I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that because yeah. it's the tracksuit guys breaking yeah. in. But if she works for them, I guess they were. Um, I guess they're Armand's property. I guess Armand was the one selling them. Is that right? Maybe. I honestly don't know. If we we don't know it. who yeah. was who was the benefactor there. Who who hosted that? Well, Armand stuff that Ar was being sold. Armand was bidding uh, competitively with with Jack for the Ronin sword. Um, of course. So there was a sense that I guess if we work backwards, then Armand was intent on buying the Ronin sword and I guess also the Rolex. The Kingpin clearly wanted the Rolex. He did not apparently think to position Eleanor, who is very wealthy, uh, to to outbid Armand. Instead, their solution was to break into the auction and then also, oh, by the way, kill Armand. So that 
in retrospect makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. And and not kill him during the raid? Surely that would have made sense to kill him during the robbery to make it look like a botched robbery. Yep. Like, if you kill him later on, it looks like it's obviously a murder, it's a homicide. But if you kill him in the botched robbery, it feels different. So... Yep. And, and we're not really established. Like he, he, what was he? What did he find out? He found he found out about the records as well that Kate later finds out about. Um, right, and then yeah. we're also left with another question that goes completely unresolved and even unasked in the episode, which is, what did Kingpin and and then by extension Maya want with the watch? Yeah, do and they know its I, value? I think I have a theory about it, but yeah, do they know its value? Where it was the actual target of the raid on the auction? The watch. I don't know. Yeah. Even we don't really know we the value no of the idea. watch. We have no idea. We have no idea, yeah. Like, we know what the watch is, but we don't know how you would siphon information out of a watch. Like, Yeah, and which um, Maya evidently did. She worked backwards from the watch to Laura and the kids. Um, I assume she did that for the Kingpin's benefit, and then by extension, I'm going to say the Contessa. We'll talk about that maybe at the end. But um, but we have no clue. We just have no idea, and there's no answer. There's no. It's not even raised in the show as to why any of that happened. It's just like, oh yeah, Eleanor's. I killed him. <laughs> yeah, that's it. yeah. I did it. Yeah, I, I killed him. Yeah. That's fine. I have an insurance policy because that will go well. Oh, threatening Kingpin. That's yeah. gonna go real well. She has an insurance uh, policy on the Kingpin. Yeah, he's got one on you too, Eleanor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to rip you in half. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it it came across. It wasn't bad, like, and but I think, and, and and she didn't come across as dumb or anything. No, no. It was just a little generic. That's what it was. It was just a very like, oh yeah, you make this threat, or and then Kingpin's like, oh, you can't leave the game. Whereas I feel like Kingpin would be one of those people who'd be smart enough to know when it's like, well, if an asset's compromised and I let them leave and they pay me out, like, then it's fine, like. Kingpin seems like a smarter businessman than a man who's like, no, you must stay forever. He's much smarter. In, Kingpin is one of the smartest characters in the comics, and we saw this in the Netflix show. He's driven by by emotion and, and anger, but he is he's a brilliant guy, and this is not a guy who would be driven to get into a pissing contest, frankly, with Eleanor Bishop. He would just find a way that she would have an accident, in quotation marks. Yeah. Right, and then he would just start being Kate Bishop's new best friend, and he'd be like, "Kate, I'm so yeah. sorry about what happened to your mom. I know you're taking over the company. Kate, you're really young. You probably don't want anything to do with this. You ever think about selling? You know? Yeah. Like, come on. Simple as that. Yep. Oh. Well, we finally make it back to to Kate and Clint, but after about eight nine minutes, um, <laughs> and we essentially like. We then have a little talk montage of like we've been told there's no way to do have any more trick hours, and then Clint reveals, well, we could just make them, and she's like, what? And then we get a little montage of them making them. Yep, there was a great Easter Quite egg uh, when they're making the arrowheads uh, for Star Wars nerds like us. Uh, one of the arrowheads, I believe it's one of the Stark arrowheads, is the head of the IG88 bounty hunter droid from Empire Strikes Back. Uh, the, the shape. This is a shape that'll be familiar to Star Wars fans because it's also the actual head. The prop of IG88 is actually one of the pieces of the cantina from A New Hope that they just repurposed for IG88. So it's very recognizable. Um, but I just I, that leapt out of, out of me right away. So it's very cool. Yeah, and it was cool. Like you know, even just looking here, there's like one like you know, I love the um, 
obviously Hawkeye's been doing this so long that he can feel them by weight and just by knowledge he knows all the things but obviously Kate's like no 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 we've got to label this stuff so she's got labels to say like I think it says air bad air something air bag air bag That's it. it's air yep. bag freeze flash bomb and icebreaker um yep. we also got one with a bit of Stark tech which is nice this is the stuff that the Netflix series obviously had to stray away from, which is the nice connective stuff that I love about these new um, Disney Plus shows. It's just the fact that they can just put Stark... It takes them, like, no effort, and they can just put Stark labels on things in production, and, and we all go, oh, it's so cool, that's a Stark technology. Yeah, it's it's one of the coolest things about it. One thing uh, we kind of hope we got... A, there is a lot of sort of tangential symmetry between No Way Home in the Hawkeye finale, they clearly take place at the same time, maybe the same evening at the very end. But one thing I kind of hoped for and we didn't get was maybe a little bit of a brief appearance by Spider-Man. Um, maybe too much to ask for, but that would have been really cool. But um, Especially with Kingpin yeah. involved. But um, it, nevertheless, it was... The episode got much better as we get into that sequence, and then everything with Kate and Clint is fantastic. Um, and then when we get into the final battle at 30 Rock and sort of the diehard of it all, uh, it did that. Then it really picked up. It's a lot of fun. And, and then, like I was saying earlier, this as they get to the to the party, the Christmas party, and you'll, then Elena shows up, and that just Elena is my new favorite character. She's just I love everything about her. Florence Pugh is is perfect, perfect as Elena. So much fun when she shows up. Um, the party vibes are really cool. We do get some good thematic stuff, you know, that comes back later. Um, the heroes have to make tough decisions thing, the sacrifice along with the fun, you know. We've seen Kate learn about the fun parts, and now she's learning more about the tough parts. She's dealing with the fact that uh, she knows her mom is a killer and a criminal. Like, we do mm. get some good depth, which I liked. Again, one of the cruxes of this series has been the, the Clint-Kate conversations, and I like, I love that. I love it. I wish would have got we would have gotten more sort of Kate sort of deals with the fact that her mom is a supervillain really well. <laughs> like, yeah, she's, she's just like, uh, you know, she's very sad for, about it for a minute. And then she's right back on target. She's right back on mission um, that I would have liked a little bit more of that. But that's fine. It, it's it, Kate is kind of like Kate is just very um she presents she gets she puts on a good front you see this with elena in particular kate is always acting a little bit tougher than she is uh and then she turns into a big softy uh right away um but yeah i i love the kate and clint are just fantastic also and and whatever happens going forward i i hope i would love to see them more of them together the sort of mentor and student but if not this was a lot of fun um with it was definitely a lot of yeah. fun one thing a little pe peeve i had like not a peeve at all um at the party they turn up to kate wears um you know like clint wears a really nice tux and kate wears a dress like totally fine and then they get changed into their purple outfits so it doesn't matter kind of would have liked the like throwback to the first episode if she'd worn in tux as well oh yeah um, i because obviously in that first episode she's asked to wear a nice dress and she kind of like doesn't um, and wears like a suit and tie, which of course then is a plot point that she looks like a waiter, which then kind of is you know like feeds into the plot of the auction. Um, well, the, I think it would. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree, but it would have deprived fans of the moment where Elena rips uh, Kate's dress off 
they're probably depriving shippers everywhere of a great moment. <laughs> very true, very true. <laughs> yeah, it's not... Yeah, I guess it sort of seems weird to rip a suit off, but I guess it was the sort of accident of ripping it and she's in her suit, like... Yeah. Yeah, and she's in her, like, her costume. So, yeah, you got to give the shippers something, you know what I mean? Like, they can't... Yeah, and they got a lot. They got a lot in this episode. We'll talk about it because... They got a lot, Kate, you know. They got Kate, Yeah, they got a lot of... Yeah, Kate and Elena became a no, thing in this episode, for sure. Yep, yep. Um, whether it's best friends or more, we'll never, we probably won't know, but who knows. Um, mm, uh, but we yeah. did get some, like, we- we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, this is a, this is a bad hole to go down. Like, this is a, this is an intense, this is as speculatory as you could get. Well, I will say there is, uh, for folks, uh, uh, who are maybe into this and I know they're out there because I've seen it. Um, there, there is, uh, there is stuff there in the show and i will say that the the tension between kate and elena is palpable and if you want to read it as sort of sexual tension you certainly can because i kate uh is clearly impressed by elena as anyone would be and elena clearly uh is super into kate uh as that as the, the their sort of as their scenes go on and their interaction goes on they they really and they finally get to the point there they have this great the whole thing in the elevator, then they have that great sort of that tracking shot, the scrolling shot where they're fighting. And then at one point, Kate, she's like, why are we doing this? Do you want to just get a drink? And Elena's like, yeah, um, there, I think there, I think there's something to, to that. I'd be very curious to see how that plays out, uh, with Kate and Elena. That'd be completely different, obviously from the comics. And Elena is really a nothing character in the comics, but, um, Kate is a big deal in the comics, but anyway, for shippers, you got a lot to work with. You got something there, yeah. And the party's fun. I really, and this is the, like, you know, the plot point that I really didn't think we would be, that would take up so much time. I really didn't think the LARPers were going to have that much to do with, when we saw them in that first episode or the second episode, I really didn't think they'd be coming back as many times as they've come back. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I liked how goofy it was. Oh, it was fun. It was silly, like Jack. I ended up loving Jack, and, and Jack sort of got his moment there to shine in the show. But I liked LARPers. And I, like, I liked, you know, how the one guy, he was like, we're basically Avengers. <laughs> <I> was like... <laughs> Good. By, association. by association no and that was it there was a lot to, and they do the the character you know like we, we sort of said it didn't all come together but a lot of it did the larpers had a payoff obviously they get their costumes made by the larpers the larpers then aren't getting people to listen to them so they dress up and it's quite fun you know to sort of get get attention from people um and then we also get i think jack was was a bit of a standout really like yeah. it was so much fun and i, I love the bit in the he finds out the truth in the kitchen with Eleanor and Kate, and he's sort of like, ha ha, I would have done the same. Like, I don't blame you. Yeah. He's sort of like, so we never get resolution on whether, like, Eleanor really did care. I guess Eleanor did care for Jack, and then Jack cared for Eleanor, but it's almost like Eleanor's obviously got other things to care about, and she's more invested in Kate and her daughter. And Jack just seems like the sort of man who just seems like life is this ongoing adventure. So if it throws you a curveball, it's just another adventure. Yeah, he's like, uh, now I've been accused of murder, but now I'm off the hook, and now I have a sword, and I have reason to use it. And he's just like, and he just carves up the tracksuit, bros. Like it's 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 oh, so yeah. much fun. And Tony Dalton is great in a role that really, in the end, in the final calculus, there's nothing on paper for Jack in this entire series. He's just he's a red herring, plain and simple. There's no depth to him, but he plays it for all it's worth. He put pl- plays him with a real sort of sense of panache. 
and I really liked him. I, I really enjoyed it. I may have been disappointed by the fact he didn't sort of have a comic book connection to Clint that he could have, but it didn't. It doesn't matter. He, he was just a lot of fun. I feel like, I don't know, you know, you can't see everyone again, but out of everyone that we sort of, you know, the LARPers, him, you know, sort of smaller characters, he's definitely the one that I think with his sword abilities, people I think want to see him again. I think he was just so much fun that I think you could yeah. easily use him in any sort of New York story and have him just be there as this almost like audacious, crazy character. Um, yeah. And I think you're 100% right with saying about Dalton brought that li- that role to life. Like on paper it's a rubbish role and there's no character there and you and, and there's no substance to it. But just the way and like it be this is one of those things that will be fascinating on a rewatch is watching that character when remember when we saw him in the first episode and he seemed really sleazy mm-hmm. and kind of weird and I think you'd rewatch it and be like I think he just generally just loves everyone and wants Kate to be involved and he just he's like i'm reading parenting books which at the time seemed really like kind of made your skin crawl but i feel like knowing him now you'd go back and be like oh jack you just like you just love life he loves life he i think he's a classic uh sort of rich person born into immense wealth who's not particularly ambitious or particularly talented at anything except the sword clearly and then also <laughs> fencing about fencing yeah. and then but he but he is he has this enthusiasm he did I, I think very true he did care about kate uh cared about eleanor um and then he want he was all about this sort of new life that he was embarking on and then the minute it was over he's like okay and then now i'm going to do this yeah. for and then then at the very end the larpers like hey what do you do on the weekends and now he's going to be a larper he's going to be like the best larper he's of all be time a LARPer. <laughs> Yeah, he's also great at delivering sick burns to kids that question him. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just like, oh, do you remember you peed your pants? Like, yep. you know, and and it's, again, just the, the the tastelessness of being being let off on bail for murdering someone and then turning up to a party with a sword, with a sword. for a Christ, for a rich Christmas party, like absolute yep. and classless, like and then, like no tact at all, and then proceeds to murder people, <laughs> and then proceeds to murder people and have too much fun. Yep. so you've written in the notes here Kazi is an idiot can I ask what we're referring to there there's a scene um, the first scene with him and Maya uh, in the the finale and then she's sort of um, she's sort of talking to him about um, I think it's a scene where she's sort of you know he's trying to tell he can't walk in two worlds or something and it's just he's just none of none of his motivation makes sense. I, I want to say Kazi's maybe a victim of some cutting, some edit edit room floor stuff, because he's supposed to the, these moments that he has with Maya in this episode and also with Kingpin are supposed. I feel like they're supposed to land, but like the line like I, I can't walk in two worlds. What does that even mean? Like you you never showed any. Uh, evidence before of like feeling doubt or feeling uncertainty or and even more interest in being anything other than a criminal like yeah <laughs> and then you're just a guy you're just a literal a literal toady you know um and that's all he is and, and sort of the emotion you got some uh frothy the actor is really good but he's given this yeah i was gonna say like he's a great actor he, he's given this role which is just i think because of some cutting i'm gonna say because there's a lot of adr very obvious adr in this episode especially at the tour around the end the end battle where it's clear that they you know they, they probably made some adjustments on the fly but 
Um, I think Kazi just comes off like a real idiot in the, you know, like he, we don't really know the dynamic of his relationship with uh, Maya, why she should even care uh, that he thinks that there would not be any consequences for his actions or words, uh, you know, and that she's not going to, you know, someone who's given as much agency as she has within Kingpin's organization is not going to figure this stuff out in the end. Um that he just comes off as very poor and and i imagine he'll come back in the echo series and if he does i hope they do a better you know they he gets a better shot because the actor's really Isn't good he did did he die yeah he got like shot didn't he like that was the point i think wasn't it that tells you how much i cared about kazi folks like i i've yeah. forgotten yeah she like lays him to, she like lays him down and cries okay yep just clicking through it now. Yeah, he's dead. Let me wait. Let me just let me just rewatch here. Let me rewatch here. <laughs> this is great. This is great podcast listening. Listen to Alex watch the show. Yeah. Reaction vids. <laughs> no, yeah, she probably like stabs him and he like convulses and he's like lying down. Yeah, he's like coughing. She's crying. Yeah, he ain't making that out. There, there was there wasn't like the kingpin pull away. It was like proper like he's gone. Yeah, he's gone. He's gone. There you go. If he's not gone, it's 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 probably it's a bit cheap because he's yeah. he's really the only like he's really the only death of any note to be honest. Right. Well, maybe it's for the best. Maybe it's for the best. <laughs> maybe he was the best. But so many good scenes. You're right. The fight scenes were stellar in this episode. The elevator scene with with Kate and Yelena was oh so much God. fun. Yeah. You referenced it before the um, the classic line of like, "We should get a drink." Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And she's like, "Really?" And she's like, "Yeah." After I kill Clint, uh, and she's yeah. like, "Oh, damn it! I thought I'd convinced you." Um, it's so it's um, Kate is so earnest and she's so enthusiastic and she really really likes Elena and Elena really likes her. Elena likes everybody until she kills you. But um, mm-hmm. but she but they really like it. And then at the end, they have this great little button at the end of that scene. Uh, where they sort of compliment each other on, <laughs> on their form and their fighting. And, you know, Kate, who is not a fighter, and is there's a great moment in the big, long scrolling shot where she is sw- spinning around and swinging wildly. It's really good choreography because she just she has no clue what she's doing. She's just, you know, she's just swinging. She has no idea what she's doing. She gets a lucky shot on Yelena. Yelena is actively trying not to hurt Kate several times which leads to the great slap across the face in the elevator. <laughs> and Yelena's yeah. like, what was that? Like, yeah. you know, like we were not hurting each yeah. other. So Yeah, I thought we were just playing it cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is so good. And I think one of the great things about this series has been like Yelena, the characterization of Yelena has been pitch perfect from what we saw in Black Widow. She's been carried over perfectly. Um, obviously, you know, obviously she was pretty, she had a lot of trauma when we met her in Black Widow. They've done really good to have that exact same character with the lightheartedness and then add the trauma of losing, um, of losing Natasha. And I think it was really, really, she's probably one of the best characterizations we've seen from someone we've not seen a whole lot of. You know, Hawkeye, oh, yeah. you know, writing Clint is, you've seen a lot of Clint. You kind of, you can kind of piece together who he is if you're writing that story. But really, we've only got that one film to, to, to draw on from Yelena. And this feels like a very, very natural evolution for her character. Very much so. And just for my money, um, I think in general, it seems like people really like Yelena. But uh, she, from the, the MCU is full of so many great characters, you know, a handful of them make an instant sort of electric impression. And she's one of them. She's instantaneous. She's a lightning rod for every scene that she's in. And she's going to be fantastic going forward. Her and Kate are going to be fantastic going forward, whatever iteration 
you know, that takes, whether that's Hawkeye season two or Black Widow two or, or whatever that is, they're going to well, young Avengers or young yeah, Avengers or maybe just Avengers. Um, and, you know, I imagine yeah, they'll be true. both be Avengers. So I'm super, I was going to say they're not that young, <laughs> not that young. And I'm super excited about that. Cause they, they work like gangbusters together. So I want to see more of that. And, um, yeah, Florence Pugh is fantastic. Absolute slam dunk casting. And so is Haley Steinfeld. I know we've said it on the other episodes, but she is just great. Um, she, yeah. She's excellent in everything she does. If folks haven't seen Dickinson, which is the uh, Apple TV series where she plays Emily Dickinson, the poet, she's fantastic. She's fantastic actress in general. Um, so I'm. Yeah, we've been complaining about the show, but I I love the characters. I love almost all of these scenes in this episode, and and I really I so I really enjoyed. It. I did have a good time watching it. I had a great time watching this. Series. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm flicking through this final episode again as we're chatting about it, and I'm like, oh, that was a cool scene, and yeah. that was a cool scene. Like, there's like, we're, like we're talking about the scene. We're not even halfway through the episode yet. Yeah. Like in the terms of what we're chatting about. Obviously, that's because the fight scene at the end is like extended which is awesome like they, they give they give a lot of time like yeah. this episode felt like a pure finale which i loved there wasn't it, it they gave enough time to everything yeah it all was a wrap-up there was no like oh my god we've got to fit like four like different scenes in all of it happening on this like you said diehard level christmas party kind of really works um and i was really glad we kind of got all these conclusions at once the most surprising conclusion we got was uh kate's recommendation that he should buy his girlfriend the the tracksuit bros girlfriend imagine dragons tickets <laughs> yeah. um and then they went to see what maroon five instead Something like she that. was upset and he was like i like maroon five um and you know what i like maroon five too <laughs> but i um i like i liked that there was this nice you know it was a nice little callback it, it adds to the silliness it was it's a blink and you'll miss it reference from like what four episodes ago yeah um but a lot of fun um and then, yeah, we get ongoing, you know, fight scene, fight scene, fight scene. Clint plays, you know, the, the Hawkeye. You know, he's up in the perch. He's up in the building until Kazi kind of, like, interrupts him. Good little fight scene. And then we get a good gag in which he gets stuck in a tree. Yeah. That was – that was, the tree was a lot of fun because I was – that was, one, it, it was great staging and great sort of uh, – the sequence is very well plotted out. And then I was thinking about the logistical nightmare of doing this at Rockefeller and then realizing that they didn't do this largely at Rockefeller. Um, yeah. There, there was some plate shots that they got some very, they were there at Rockefeller at, in the night, but they got some plate shots and then the rest was done uh, on a set. But the tree stuff was great. And especially the owl, which I don't know about you, but the owl is the MVP of the series uh, there at the end. Um, oh, so, and such a good guy. Oh my God. And then I was sort of, th- you know, like, the poor tracksuit bros, but, um, the, uh, that was all great. And then getting out of the tree was great. And, um, them all working together. There's another sort of callback there. Uh, there's a couple of callbacks. I feel like just for Kate and Clint within the context of the show, like them working together, the sort of the zip lines and sort of arrows and knocking things over. And then they, then when they get down on the ice in the skating rink, there's sort of a quasi wraparound shot, which calls back to 2012 Avengers. Um, I loved all that stuff. And, you know, um, the scene was very good. The use of the, the trick arrows was very good. The Pim. So much fun. The Pim, uh, the shrank, the, the bros and the, the owl got him is, was all time classic. And then the best part about it is that Kate's like, well, what happens to him now? And then it's Clint's like, well, I'll have to ask Scott, which is total BS because he knows what happens because he knows how you ha- how you get back, you know, 
he's he's been around these guys. He knows how you get back. Uh, to I guess he mean I guess I guess he means more in the sense of like I don't have an arrow for that. Like you know, like I don't. <laughs> right. I only have a shrinker. Like I shrink. This arrow is designed to make things bigger or smaller. I don't. I can't do that. I guess no, because he made the arrow bigger earlier in the series so surely he knows he's got the ability to make things smaller make things bigger yeah um maybe he had one of each and he's actually he's used like the big one on the trick arrow and then he's used the small one on these henchmen guys right so now he's not got any more like he's like oh shit i need to talk to scott and work out how to make this make them big again yeah it's like these bros are going to be in this state for a while but then they get captured by the owl and then they probably suffer a very horrible fate um, I feel like that's all. This is why we need to bring back one shots. See, that's yeah. an entertaining one shot. Like, like watching these guys like get carried off by an owl and then like have to survive. I think that's a very entertaining. Uh, that's a very entertaining story. Um, but also maybe a very uh, gruesome horror movie as well, depending on how it ends. Oh, dude, it'd be classic. It'd be mini tracksuit bros in the streets of New York. It'd be yeah, epic. Exactly. Surely, but then if we, and if we follow Ant Man logic though, does that mean they're like super strong? They would be, but yes, they would be have strength way beyond their size. So, yeah, yeah, beyond their size. If we follow the illog- if we follow the illogical physics of right. Ant Man, um, one thing I actually appreciate about the series, I think I've said it before, and they continued it all the way through to the end. No one misses a shot. Mm. Kate doesn't miss a shot. Clint doesn't miss a shot. They don't play. Then and they even when he's lost his hearing, they don't play that like. Oh my god, he's lost his ability to like shoot arrows. Um, they don't play on her like. Oh, you need to like. She's having like performance issues, and the <laughs> ending where she shoots the tree is like where she has to take a big breath and gets it. Like yeah. they don't play on that trope because that's a classic trope for for you know protege um, master protege kind of stories yeah. for uh, i'm trying to be a superhero for anyone who's a marksman of some sort that's a classic story it's a classic trope and i'm glad they avoided it because it was unnecessary i don't need to see hawkeye fail because he's an avenger and he's amazing i don't need to see him fail in terms of his arrow shooting and having kate do that just kind of just undermines her for no apparent reason so i kind of like that the struggles they faced were not shooting arrows based yeah, for sure. I mean, these guys are world-class Olympic uh, caliber archers, both of them. Um, and so and just in, in, on that level, they have no peer in the world, I'm going to say. And so on, on, in that respect, the bros were woefully outmatched. The only advantage the bros had is there were so many of them, which is obviously a problem for even with a distance weapon like the, the bow and arrow. Uh, and you see that with Kate and Yelena. Kate is not a fighter. She has no skill whatsoever in hand-to-hand combat. Yelena uh, is a world-class <laughs> martial artist, I'm assuming. And um, and in my we talked about Maya a couple episodes ago about you know the fact that she's a martial artist too, but she's not on the level of someone like Yelena. Yelena, if she wanted to, would just make everybody's life really hard. Um, yeah. But so I, I love all that and I, I, I love sort of the complexity and then they're actually then when you think about it the logistics of the fight they're trapped inside the rink the rink is a people have probably seen it on TV and in movies the rink is actually a depressed pit in front of Rockefeller yeah. and there are stairs that go down into it but if you're in a if you're fighting people from the center of it you're trapped inside that pit and you're actually in a shooting gallery you're basically in a fish in a barrel from the point of view of the tracksuit yeah. bros so I liked all I liked all the logistics of it, and that all worked. And they could have even emphasized it more, but it was the, I loved the, the whole action sequence was just fantastic. Did it bother you? I've seen some criticism of how many of them there were. Did it bother you that there were like 
because it didn't really bother me. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I did think that for a second. Like, oh, look, it's like a thousand more unnamed henchmen um, that have come out of nowhere. How but I don't know. That's just part uh, and parcel. Yeah, I was okay with it. I that I was fine with. I I know people are like the bros are silly, the bros are goofy. I love them. They were, I love I loved how goofy and silly they were. Uh, sometimes the scariest people are the silliest people, so that I didn't I didn't mind about that. And then the thing that I was most surprised and pleased by was the fact that the kingpin actually got in on the action there at the end, and that was that was amazing. That was amazing. Yeah, he's got like. We talked about this before. Like he's got like super strength now. He like ripped a car door off. Yeah. So like in the Netflix show, he uses the car door to take care of somebody. Here, he rips that door right off. He takes an arrow to the chest. Um, he gets hit by a car. He gets sort of uh, uh, Kate exploded on. Yeah, Kate sort of detonates a series of arrows at once um, on him, and he he gets up from that. Um, yeah, so that that's one of the questions that we sort of started off with. It's like this is a more sort of his power level is clearly much more than the Netflix Kingpin. So is this the same Kingpin? I think there's two schools of thought. One is is that no, it's not. It's it's a different version of Wilson, or this is the Netflix Kingpin. All of that happened, but kingpin is leveled up power wise through the same process that carly and the flag smashers did which is through this the super uh the super soldier serum and the kingpin in the comics has has no superpowers he's just that he's just that strong he's just that good but he did dabble in this kind of thing where he did he was part of experiments on other people to give them powers which actually is where felicia hardy black cat gets her powers from is from uh, experiments that the Kingpin conducted on her. So I think there's sort of a Venn diagram here of, of Kingpin and Power Broker and Contessa and Eleanor that I think could potentially explain some of this. Um, but we'll see. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I don't... It's one of those things that I'm not even sure we'll get it explained. Sure. I think he probably has had some sort of serum. He's more powerful. But I'm sure they... I'm not even convinced we'll get any reference to the Netflix series existing. I'm not even... Even when we bring back Daredevil um, and and Kingpin in their own series or in a full way or with another character or pair-ups, team-ups, whatever, I don't think we'll get references as to whether the Netflix series is real. Unless... I think the... I just don't think the only way I could envision them wanting to connect it completely and like making very solid references is if for some reason Disney Plus is able to get the Netflix series on their streaming service exactly on there which wouldn't happen in America because they're too violent it would happen internationally on stars which is what we've got over here in Australia and in the UK which is like where there is a lot of like R-rated content on there um that's where you get your sort of um your, your Fox movies that kind of thing um but obviously that's sort of reserved for Hulu in America. Yeah. Um, unless there's maybe some... I'm sure Disney have a five, ten-year plan in America to integrate more stuff into Disney+, Plus. maybe some more R-rated content. Um, until that happens, I don't think they want to make any direct, direct references to someone else's properties. Yeah, I think you're right on about that, a thousand percent. I think if, if the Netflix shows are going to remain on Netflix and they're not going to be at Disney+, Plus, then they never happen, so far as the MCU is concerned. Um, they're not going to make you sort of, you know, they're not, they're just not going to acknowledge them. They're just start over. And the most we'll ever get about it is a, when, 
when Daredevil and Kingpin do properly meet in the MCU, it'll just either it'll be the first time they've ever met or we'll get some sort of oblique reference to some sort of shared history and that'll be it. That'll be the extent of yeah, it. Yeah. It'll be like, ah, oh, like my old nemesis yeah. and then we'll move on or something like that. Yep. You know, like you again moving on. Yep. <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> well, yeah. then do we think, well, you say when we meet in the MCU later on, yeah. the Kingpin limps away and then is shot in the face by uh, Maya. Yes. Do you think he, he like, I you know, laugh, like, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shot in the face. What a gag. Yeah. What a gag. Yeah. Um, we cut away. We do classic movie yes. movie move, movie moves where we move away. We don't see the bang. We hear the bang, but we don't see the gunshot. We don't see the body hit the floor. Um, he's alive, right? Yes. Like I think he's even survived that shot in the comic books. I think that's literally like happens, doesn't it? It is, yeah. So I didn't buy this at all that he was dead because this exact thing happens in the comic books, and he even references it. When he says, uh, as Maya pulls the gun on him, he's like, you know, sometimes family doesn't see eye to eye. Uh, in the comic books there, Maya, when she finds out that Kingpin had killed her father, she shoots him, she blinds him, and then that's when we'll see uh, Wilson next is uh, he'll be blinded. And it'll be very interesting because obviously Matt Murdock also is blind. Um, there's a lot of potential if they had done some of this earlier in Hawkeye. To, there's a, a lot of sort of... Uh, dealing with disability in this series, which is really fascinating. That could have potentially been an aspect of the story they could have incorporated instead of ending on this teaser, which feels both cheap and then also qu questionable because it's cheap in the sense because he's not dead. Like, that's not even why even bother. And questionable yeah. questionable in the sense that for people who were like, they, they built this guy up and then he's just gone. It's like, well, okay. But... But they didn't do that, so that's fine. But we will obviously Echo is getting her own series. He'll be back for that. Their relationship continues, and and he'll be he'll recover as he did in the comic books. I'm gonna say Daredevil is gonna get a series or a movie at some point down the road, and then we'll see him there in that capacity, and maybe might see them both in Spider-Man Four. Um, so I'm yeah, he's fine. Oh, well, he's not fine. He's gonna be fine. Um, and then we're gonna yeah. get a lot more. I Vincent. feel like yeah. I feel like there's a lot of potential there to do something very uniquely MCU where you have like the first couple of episodes when we see um, the Kingpin again is him like, you know, bandaged up like around, like can't see. And I can just imagine this like mid season reveal of someone taking the bandages off and he's almost got like cybernetic eyes, you know, stark technology or, you know, we don't have to say stark, but any technology, you know, the mm -hmm. MCU technology is good enough that he could easily then have some sort of cybernetic eye some sort of like augmentation um and i think that would be a cool kind of like twist on fisk and a way to sort of add to his sort of superhumanness and it would be a cool like mid-season reveal would be to like have him take the bandages off and then there's something that's been done to his face to sort of change things yeah they could do a lot of things and i you know kingpin is a is a great character he's a great villain he is one of the few remaining Spider-Man villains who has not appeared in a Spider-Man movie. I, I think that's a good place to see him again, but we'll, we'll see him again in other places for sure. Um, I'd be interested to see him sort of have the same disability that Matt Murdock has and put them on a level together that they were in the comic books for that brief period of time when that was the case and explore that relationship. You know, so much with Wilson is about strength and about the sort of masculinity, which, you know, these very, very, 
uh, Frank Miller sort of vibes and ideas in the in the Daredevil comic books, which are some of the best Marvel comics ever. But if they want to continue exploring that in a Disney sort of way, uh, I would be all for it and and kind of see where that goes. But um, as just as a cliffhanger, it fell really flat, especially knowing that we're getting the Echo series and knowing that Kingpin, you're not going to bring back Vincent to kill him. Come on, and you know, and then it, it happens in the same week. You know, we, we get Kingpin back, we get Charlie Cox back as Daredevil. You know, yay! And, oh no, they killed him. So I don't know why they even did that. I don't know why they even tried it. It's an odd. It's a very, very yeah. odd choice. Um, surely it would have made more sense to do almost like a dual epilogue. Where, like, obviously, we're going to talk about the musical in a minute. <laughs> um, but a post that that could have been a mid credits. We could have got a post credit scene that could have almost been a dual scene, which would have been nice. Of like, again, Kingpin in the hospital taking the bandages off. Boom, something like that. And then Echo doing something to start her series. We could have almost got a dual spin-off kind of thing. They very yeah, and I would have appreciated it because just going back to the questions we were talking about at the outset, um, I I wanted a little bit more. I wanted a little bit more. What did Kingpin? Why would, was Kingpin interested in this watch? And then what was Kingpin's relationship to the Contessa, the big unspoken character and unseen character in the show is the Contessa. So we know from the end of Black Widow, it was Val the Contessa who hired Yelena, but it was Eleanor in the Hawkeye series that placed the call. So clearly those two characters are connected and then by proxy connected to Kingpin. So I would have... I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. So I would just give me a taste, like, you know, like give me, a, give me a, some sense of direction heading out of this. Unresolved, we'll get it. But I, I, you know, I thought, you know, it would be a great opportunity in a little post-credit scene, mid-credit scene to kind of give us a sense of direction for Yelena. Because now Yelena... I would imagine her first instinct is to pick up the phone and call Val and say, hey, lady, you know, you sold me a bill of goods. So um, I, w- I would have liked to have seen some of that, but we'll, obviously we'll get it. But lots to think about. Yeah. There's a lot of connections there, a lot of intriguing possibilities. Well, speaking of connections, we've jumped, we've, t- we've talked Kingpin and Kate. Let's talk Clint and Yelena, that scene there, the final scene. I think we said this before. Uh, you know the whole plot is a little contrived the whole like oh like she doesn't know what happened to to natasha and they took it in a different direction to what i thought they would i thought they would go we'd go with it was very cleared up very quickly uh, but they sort of went with it they don't ever state it explicitly but they sort of go with this idea that yelena doesn't care what happened that like mm-hmm. it doesn't the truth doesn't matter to her the fact that two people went in and clink came back out without natasha is proof enough that he is guilty of her death and they and i feel like that just needed a little bit more statement um because i feel like it would have given her a bit more motivation of like they do it is unstated and i think that's really cool you know they use this sort of subtle technique but sometimes i think it just makes it seem a little like why is she being like this why is she being so stubborn i know she is a stubborn person but they it sometimes just comes off a little callous and a little silly that her being like, I'm going to kill you. And it's like, right, but you don't even know what happened. Um, Yelena is so fast. That's a great point, Alex, because there is this narrative tension in the MCU that is starting to become more pronounced as we get into the streaming series and the shows become much more, the format broadens. So the opportunity for drama and complexity deepens. You get experimental stuff like WandaVision, you get Loki, you get things that you cannot do in the movies and then you then you just start to expect it in every instance. 
And then when you don't get it, we start critiquing. Maybe we shouldn't have expected it in Hawkeye, but to your point, with Yelena, it's a, it's a, it's imperative because Yelena, she's this bubbly, she's this fun, she's this dynamic character. It's largely a front. I, Yelena is very childlike to me. Um, and then once it's a mask, I think she's wearing in general. And um, you you see it in a couple moments. One of the moments you see it come off is when when Kate asks her to go get a drink, and Elena. One of the few times that the Elena's been in since she's been in the MCU actually pauses and takes a breath. She takes a beat before she answers, and then she says okay. And there's no funny business. There's no like goofy girly enthusiasm. It's just okay, right? Like that kind of a thing. And then at the at the end in the fight with Clint, you sort of see the same thing. And it's, Elena is someone who's always on. She's presenting this sort of character, the sort of, you know, ah, everything's funny. I could have killed you when you walked in, like that kind of a thing. And that's sort of a distancing measure. But when you peel away, it's that anger. It's that darkness. It's that I killed people. I was a killer. I was an assassin. I don't remember most of my life. I don't think she does remember a lot of it. And so that... I love all that. She's so fascinating. She's to me, she's more interesting than Natasha, to be completely honest. Um, there's a lot more to do and there's a lot more potential there. And I want to peel away at all that. I want to dig in all that. We will, you know, going forward, but yeah, to your point, you want it, you kind of want it right now. Yeah. Just the fact that I think it would have clarified the ending, it would have helped it seem a little less contrived. Just like, it doesn't even have to be a lot, just a little bit of narrative, explanation of or just a moment i'm trying to think there's a film where this happens where like like they sort of go like oh i'm not the one that like did this thing and the villain responds with i don't care like i'm gonna kill you anyway and i think we almost needed like that like a little bit of kind of maybe just just a little bit more obvious which is obviously what's happening just a little bit more obvious of like i blame you even if you are not guilty in the classic sense of having like stabbed the sword into her or whatever um, even if you didn't land the killing blow, I'll kill you because I blame you. And I think they should have just made that a little clearer because then this final scene comes together and it comes together really nicely. Um, no, I agree. I, I you know, I, clarity is always good. And I think there's sort of that tension I was talking about where you love when things are subtle, you know, and you, you love when it's sort of unspoken. And then at the same, sometimes you do have to be super clear and that's a, that's a, that's an ongoing battle in the MCU because it's the, as the MCU gets more and more complicated, the more and more battles you're going to fight over, especially as we get into things like we're going to talk about the watch here in a second. What is the watch? The watch means completely different things to different people. Just as he who remains when that door opened and it was Jonathan majors, half the audience was like, yeah. And the other half was like, who? So, you know, completely different experiences. Exactly. And we even get the whole, like, Hey, can you tell me what happened? And Clint goes like, nah, you wouldn't believe me anyway. <laughs> it's like, I get that you don't want to recap what happened in Endgame and you don't want to make things more complicated than they are. But I feel like one of the, I understood it, but I was a little like, oh, I kind of hoped we would get this scene where he kind of like emotionally tells the story of what happens on Vormir from his perspective, from what happened in Endgame from his perspective. And we do kind of get a very, very, basic version of that where he's like i tried to do it i should have tried harder she says yeah you should have tried harder you should have fought better for you to be the one to sacrifice yourself um the big reveal though 
No, you go, you go. No, I just gonna agree, and I, I think in retrospect we would have wanted a scene, maybe even even an in game, that would have gave us some context for Yelena and all this. But given the way, but Yelena didn't exist then in the con, you know, in the minds of the creators. So, um, it's it's if Yelena had been there with Natasha, the exact same thing would have happened. And you know yeah. that might have been something for Clint to have said would not have worked on Yelena, but it would have been true. You know, Natasha would have would have done the same thing. Would have done the same thing. And we do. And then the nice scene is we do get a nice little throwback. This is where the connective tissue is great, connecting right to that opening scene from Black Widow with the whistle, the whistle between sisters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very specific thing for Clint to know. Very specific, and he knows. We find out. I'm. I'm. There's one thing I was very happy about. I. He. He does know a lot about as much about Elena as I think Natasha did. Frankly, um, yeah. You know, I. She probably told him everything. She probably told him I had. I grew up. He, she clearly told him everything. In Ohio. With the Ohio. Yeah. Um, with the plane, and you know, she told you know she's. I have this sister. I really worried about her. I. I really love her. I, what what would have been nice in retrospect is that there had been something where Natasha had told Clint at some point, I need you to go find Yelena when this is over again, impossible given the way that the, you know, the narrative unfolded. Um, but, the, but I loved all that. And that shows those two Natasha and Clint were family, you know, they were, they were found family and they were very close. And I had hoped to kind of, I loved, I knew the final scene would be, them going home to the farm and i kind of hope that yelena would be there too i thought that would have been a very nice way to sort of cap that off but um we'll see we'll, we might get more at the farm who knows yeah no i agree it was kind of 100 percent this sort of like oh i'm mad at you okay you've explained things okay bye bye <laughs> and it's like, she just walked off and i was like oh and i kind of expected if she'd walked off and then later had been at the farm scene that would have been nice or if she turned up at the last second at the farm scene like on her own um in sort of reluctant and then i don't know and again like you know like he named one of his kids um nathaniel after natasha um yeah it would have been cool and for like you know know, there's a thousand possibilities you could see for you know to like have that catharsis and we didn't get all of that and maybe that means maybe that's because they know the future of clint and clint and yelena are not going to be best friends in the the next five tv shows like um could so setting that up now is sort of setting everything up for disappointment because you'll never see them together again it could be, yeah, very much so. There was a narrative reason to have it, you know. If to, just to go back to the uh, about the Contessa, just Elena would have been made perfect sense if we're going to go forward with Clint. Um, she could have showed up to the farm and she's be like, "Hey, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you about this woman who hired me." And we have a little bit of forward momentum going into whatever is next, and that would have given Elena a reason to be at the farm, give her a seat at the table, give her and Kate another reason to flirt. And then we could have ended it exactly the way that we ended it, but it's fine. It's okay. You know, it, it's, you know, we're going to get all of it, I think, but I think it is real. I would like to know, I was kind of, I figured they'd maybe say, uh, that we get some indication from Disney, from Marvel about the future of Clint and Laura, and we haven't gotten it yet. So I'm kind of hopeful, uh, that we we're going to see him again, but hard to say. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to that. We'll just do that farm scene then. Yeah. Let's do the big thing. Like, we're going to talk about the watch. Obviously, we're going to talk about the watch. But first, let's talk about how 
considering at the start of this series, Linda Cardellini was not going to be... We weren't even sure if she was going to be in it. Yeah. It hadn't been announced that she was going to be in it. The amount of Linda Cardellini we got, I'm very grateful for. She's an integral part to the Barton family oh, yeah. and to Clint's story. So the like considering there must have been insane scheduling issues and COVID and everything. And so the fact that we got her as much as we did... Uh, we're grateful for it, obviously, aren't we, Darby? Yeah, we need. <laughs> we want to give Linda the MVP trophy of the series because she clearly was uh, hampered by some sort of scheduling slash COVID slash all of it that prevented her, even in that final scene, from being in the. Did same you see room. it as well? Yes. Did you see it as well? Yeah. I noticed it the first. This is the problem with us knowing yeah, too much. Yeah. That literally within half a second, yeah. I noticed it, and I was I didn't get to see it until the Thursday night. It come out on the Wednesday night. Mates of mine, I watched it with had seen it the night before. They were watching it a second time, and literally we hadn't even got to the end of the episode. And I said, "Rewind that bit." Yeah. And they were like, "What?" And they hadn't noticed. And I was like, "They are not there together." Not there like, together. Every hug scene is from the back of the other person with what's obviously a double actor there's no the first shot of them together is a far is like a mid-length shot with them on opposite sides of the screen and then when they're sitting at the dining table together talking about the watch they are at the corner of the table on opposite sides and then when he gets up when she gets up and runs his hand no he gets up and runs his hand over her like back it's a mid-level shot where you can't see the head of him they don't touch each other in the same frame. And I thought it's very clever. It's very clever. Very clever. Uh, probably passes muster with most people. We're, we're far too clever. No. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> no, we're, we've just been watching TV our entire lives, so we know how this works. But, um, the uh, but yeah, Linda, for whatever reason, not present for all of it, but she's a trooper, and she, she pulls it off because she's able to do those phone calls, and then in the final scene, she's able to communicate you know the the warmth and the emotion and all the things that you kind of expect from her at this point and and i love and she's a great actress and one reason i want to see him again is because she's been woefully underused in the mcu and now we have a a very good reason to go back to her and clint both and i'd love to see it I'm, i'm hopeful i'm optimistic we will because there's super intriguing possibilities there but if it is the end it's a pretty good end because uh it's a it is it's a great payoff for laura Definitely, and I'm making fun. I'm making a joke about like the the scene of the meeting, but I 100. percent I'm glad they used the movie magic to make that work, yes. rather than doing a oh we're just gonna have a phone call where he's like, babe, I'm gonna make it home, and she's like, awesome, see you in 10 minutes, and then they close the phone, and that's the end of the series. 100 percent would rather them do this trickery and make it work, even if we recognize that obviously it's not them there together. Would 100 percent rather that than them be like, okay, well we'll just have them have another phone call. I am too because they're they're so good together and and you kind of want that resolution especially if this is it for them both and so I just want to say though with the watch uh, that uh, yeah I totally called it in our first pod about the Hawkeye series I I called that Laura is Mockingbird for real so people so you mm -hmm. think she is Agent Nineteen she's Agent Nineteen so people might be wondering what the deal with the watch is and what so she turns the watch over. We get the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo emblazoned on the back and then the number 19. People are probably like, what is this? Uh, In the comic books, uh, she's Laura, well, Bobby Morris is Agent 19, codename Mockingbird, um, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and that's who Laura is. Uh, She's Mockingbird. She's not Bobby Morris. Um, And uh, that's fantastic. It's a great little Easter egg. Uh, If completely no context, if you don't know anything about the comics, that was meaningless to you. Um, you know, but there was a bunch of nerds was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, and then it, it so it's, but it's cool because it leads to, 
one is like you know yeah i called it uh and then on the other hand it's like now they there's like so much more stuff they can do with laura in the mcu like we can just go forward with her into the present or we may even go backwards we can get a flashback we can get a sense of um who she was and what she did and what she was up to um there's a lot of things we could do and you know she's a was an agent of shield who does in the comic books did have connections with the contessa uh they were both agents of shield they were both spies uh who worked together in the past in the comics so maybe question mark so yeah there's a lot you could do with it and i think it works as a sort of multi reveal because like obviously the back of the watch also has the shield logo on it so Mm -hmm. it's sort of it works for everyone like it's not like the 19 is obviously a nice little easter egg but it's not the only part of it it's like literally i just watched the scene then it's like massive shield the back is the shield sure. logo so even if you don't understand the 19 you know it's it's fun that she's a shield agent um it's not really explained why that again i think i said this earlier it's not really explained why that's important like None. there's a watch with the shield logo on it like cool the, like the, the um it, I'm, yeah the only inference we get is that one throughout the entire series laura is super concerned about the watch uh she makes numerous references to how careful they've been and obviously how on the down low the Bartons are on the farm. She's uh, Maya works backwards from the watch that Laura and the kids, their names, um, that's scary. But we don't get an explanation of why it's important, how Maya did that, yeah. or what the Kingpin's interest was. So just to, just to underline all that again, I'd say that's one thing I really would have loved to have gotten some indication of. I'm going to say that has to do with the Contessa. There's no reason why Wilson would want to know all that. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to him unless he just wanted to hurt Clint. He could have done that at any point. The only person who'd want to know that where Agent 19 is, I think, would be the Contessa. And we just don't know yeah. why. But um, hopefully we hopefully get an explanation. We'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, it is a bit of a, a sort of an odd one, especially considering, and, again, they sort of, like, It'd be interesting to go back and watch that first episode where it was sort of hinted at, but I suppose the explanation is that they had it in the house, the family get um, blipped, get snapped by Thanos, Hawkeye then in his five years as Ronan has the watch on him and then loses it at the Avengers compound during Endgame. And that's where it gets recovered along with the Ronan suit and the Ronan sword. Yeah, no, that makes Um, sense. Yeah. But we're, again, we're not given any of that. Like that's you know yeah. we're connecting we're connecting dots on it. You know with a lot of like red string here, looking like crazy people to make those connections. <laughs> we are. I think there's. Oh. I think the reasonable connections. But you're right. We're we're working completely in the dark because we're not given. We're not given a lot of stuff to work with. But we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. And then that also has implications too. We've talked about it on the pod before. Uh, for the Agents of Shield TV show, that Bobby Morse. That Mockingbird, that raises questions about their canonicity, um, which I imagine at some point we'll get to because um, we're we're getting into the TV stuff now uh, vis-a-vis the MCU. But I think it's cool. If this is it, if we don't get any explanation, it's just really cool to kind of have that connection and that sort of insight into Laura, which I think we talked about this last week, was telegraphed by Tony Stark in the very first scene uh, Laura's first scene in Age of Ultron where he's like, well, he's, clearly this is an agent or however he said it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the kids run in and he's yeah. like just tiny little agents. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, and and it does add some richness to that scene, which is fun. Um, and it's not, we get a nice little conclusion for the end of the series. We do get some catharsis. You know, Ronan, a lot of people criticize, not criticized, but there was sort of the talk, you know, once we'd gotten over the big, big awesomeness of Endgame and people started to pick it apart, there was the talk that the Ronan thing was kind of jumped over. It was like, yeah, he's a, he's a killer now with a katana, like and then they moved on um right and that's been the great thing about this series has been we've dived into that we've talked about him uh being ronan and then we've gotten the catharsis of him burning the ronan persona at the end it ends it it puts it you know and and uh, it is nice and i'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to the the musical Mm. um sometimes it's nice in the mcu to have some ends sometimes it's good to finish things we can't like always tease the next thing sometimes it's nice to be like nah ronan's done we don't need more Ronan. No, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I think the great thing about Marvel Comics slash the MCU is that it never ends. and But that is also runs counter sometimes to narrative. And just the, the comfort and the structure and the importance of endings and, and the essentialism of endings uh, in, in narratives and in stories. And I think No Way Home is a great example of a story that is in that has an ending and that is over but it's a it's a chapter right it's a unit of a larger story the same way this is and the ronin story is over maybe the clint story is over maybe the laura story is over the kate story the elena story is just getting started um there's this great sort of sense of beginning and ending and renewal and we came into this without a Black Widow and Hawkeye. We're leaving with a Black Widow and Hawkeye. I think it's fantastic, you know. Um, it really is. There's a lot of mythic quality to it, which I think is one of the things that goes real quick tangent, and then we'll <laughs> we'll talk about the musical. <laughs> uh, in in Star Wars, our fan, we're huge Star Wars fans, and in Star Wars fandom, there's so much talk and discourse about myth and mythology for obvious reasons. Not always with the superhero genre, but that is one of the biggest underpinnings of why these movies and this, these comics and this whole franchise now is taken on the dimension it has in culture is because of that mythic aspect. And the great success of the MCU, which it reaches this natural peak in Endgame, is that it's that transition, the handing off of the amulets and the scepters and the swords and the shields and literally the hammers, and those types of things, and then the costumes and the identities to the next generation, the cyclical aspect of it, beginning and renewal, um, that is just now coming into play, and it's working perfectly, and it has this great mythic dimension, and we're going to see it again and again. In the MCU, people are like, this is going to, you know, this bubble's going to burst, and this genre's going to die. It's not going to. There's obviously going to be a, you know, a plateau that we reach, and uh, but No Way Home is evidence that uh, we're far, far from it, so... Did you do that on purpose? Call it yeah. far from, far from it. No did way. I? Yeah, maybe I there's, did. Maybe yeah. <laughs> there's no way that, that yeah, there's no way that that bubble's gonna burst. Um, no, you are 100 percent right. Like, and you're right. Yeah. No way home is proof that like the bubble, like end game wasn't the end of the bubble. It wasn't like it's all downhill from here. There's still peaks to jump up to. There's still highs and there's gonna be lows. Um, and even if we maybe never make as much money as Endgame with it being post-pandemic and blah, 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 um, you know, we're a long way off, like, the money being, you know, we're a long way off uh, them uh, an MCU movie not making enough money to not justify making any more MCU movies. Oh, yeah, we have this next 10 years is going to be as good or, or better 
as the first. We've got, uh, you know, we've got the Fantastic Four. We've got Galactus. We got Doctor Doom. We got the X Men. We got Magneto. We got Secret Wars. I'm here to tell you, um, we've got we got the true Marvel universe in total to look forward to. Yeah. And there's the greatest moment that's going to happen here in this next five or six years is we're going to get a shot with all of the Marvel universe in it. Spider-Man, Avengers, Fantastic Four, X-Men. Impossible to think of even just a few years ago, but it's going to happen and it's going to be amazing. So it's a, it's nothing, nothing but peaks for a long time here. Yeah, it's very exciting. Looking forward. All right, three more points, and then we're going to be done. We got to we got to wrap this up. So the final point is: Do you think she's going to be called Hawkeye, or do you think we're going to go for another name? Um, the ending made it seem like Kate won't be being called Hawkeye. She will totally be Hawkeye. That's what uh, Clint, you think so. Yeah, that's what Clint meant. He's like, I've got an idea. She's going to be Hawkeye, and Clint's going to stay home on the farm with Laura, which is a good place to park and. Um, He's going to go into retirement with the kids, and um, they're hopefully life will be uh, peaceful. And then Katie is going to be um, Hawkeye. Elaine is going to be Black Widow, and we're going to have a new Hawkeye and Black Widow for a long time. Fantastic. And then, fine, like you know, second to last. Before we get into like, we're going to do a little roundup of the year. Mm-hmm. But last piece on this episode of Hawkeye. What did you think of the musical, the mid-credits scene, <laughs> end-credits scene? There was only one. It was the musical. We got a full opening number with actual Broadway stars yeah. of this um, Avengers musical. What did you think? Well, I, I, I loved it. I loved how gaudy and awful it was. Um, I, I loved that this was the, the way that they decided to end, you know, to give you something just really silly and goofy and put a smile on your face as you were put a cap on the year. Um and it was good because it was it was just it was just ridiculous, um, and the fact that they actually did the whole number that they created the whole, you know, what was it? It's five six minutes long. The whole sequence was just nuts. It's so long. Yeah. Yeah, it goes from about fifty two minutes through to fifty six and a half, <laughs> fifty seven even. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, like so it's a long number. I um. Yeah, I've had a few, I've heard a few people complain, and I sort of you know like it was sort of a bit of a like oh I wanted a big tease, and I'm kind of, like I said before it's sometimes it's nice just to have a conclusion. Like you said, it's been a big year for Marvel. We've had so much stuff. Like, isn't it nice just to end it on a silly note? My only issue, and this is me coming from an absolute being a you know uh, like musical theater kind of nerd, mm. is just that I didn't particularly love the number. It's like I didn't yeah. like I thought it. I, I thought it you know it, it could have been catchier or refer more referential or sillier or more serious like it didn't it didn't feel like a direct parody of like hamilton or a direct parody of of some other um property doing it it felt like it's oh we're just doing a musical version of this and it almost felt like a bit of a a youtube idea rather than like this like and and the production quality was amazing and the main guy i don't know both actors but one of them was in rent and he's fantastic in the movie rent um i don't know his name either it was all very no. no, it was all very good, but I I wanted something just a a little more. Like out of I love that they did the whole thing, but I almost would have like l- like it almost felt a little like ha 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 how funny is this? We're all the Avengers, and I was like, yeah, I guess that's again it's felt kind of YouTube funny, not like this is genuine comedy. <laughs> no, I get that. I I I thought it was sort of. Am I being too harsh? No, no. Uh, I thought it was purposely <laughs> uh, silly and goofy and 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 campy. 
Um, I I thought parts of it were a lot of fun. That you know I could do this all day thing. Like it was you know. Sure. Yeah, that was good. Um, but it was um, it wasn't like uh, you know, the Agatha all along instant smash, right? Uh, yes. So. Exactly, and that's what it is. I think you know, Agatha all along came out, and people were like. We need this. I need the. I need the. Um. I need this on Spotify. Yep. I need to listen to this now. Yep. I need this on repeat all day. Yeah. So much so that then that when Halloween rolled around, um, I was at a, I was at a club with drag queens and one of them lip synced to Agatha oh all along. You know, like before going into her like full number, and it's just like. It, it. I kind of wanted that. I kind of almost would have loved almost this like silly like Hamilton rapping of kind of like, you know, like. They call me Thor. I'm the god of Thundor. Like you know, something really rubbish. But yeah. like them all doing rap intros that were kind of like sillier. I think it just almost. I think I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But I, I, I couldn't help but be like, oh, this could just have been a little bit more. Or they could have cut to the audience and gave us a shot of Martin Scorsese sitting there just absolutely miserable. That would have been absolutely <laughs> hilariously meta. Well, that's and I think that's what a lot of people were annoyed by is they were watching this long scene and I think everyone expected the ending to be a pan to like old man Cap or like someone being like or Yelena yeah. or someone being like you know Yelena being like what is this like this is rubbish like you know yeah. almost that the parrot like the audience's response of this is so stupid um <laughs> and we don't get that and i don't think we again we didn't need it we don't like we do get a little hung up on our references we do get a little hung up we on, do. Our, on our cameos and our references and our and our illusions we do i'm the worst i i'm i'll i i, <laughs> I acknowledge that i have a problem i'm i'm that guy who I love all my references and my Easter eggs, and I love connecting the dot. We like we talked about a minute ago on the whiteboard. I'm that guy, and I love that. But I also love that this was just here. You go, guys. This is just crazy. This is dumb. This is fun. Here you go. It's been a year. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah, have fun with it. And that's the final thing I wanted to talk about. We won't spend too long on this because we're already going over an hour, mm. um, an hour twenty even. But two hours. What Let's did do you? It. <laughs> do it we can 40 minutes of retrospective um what it's been a massive year we've got an insane amount of content this year like considering you know where we started the year we were like oh we're gonna get a little bit of wandavision and we've gotten wandavision um falcon the winter soldier loki what if and now hawkeye film wise we've gotten black widow Shang-Chi, The Eternals, and Spider-Man No Way Home. Five series, four films, nine properties. It's an abs- it's absolute insanity. Yeah. Um, there's never been anything like it with this much content in a single year. Yeah. I'm not going to make you rank them because I don't know where to start, but what are your highs? What are your lows? Um, Spider-Man No Way Home, best MCU movie ever. Uh, WandaVision, mm-hmm. the best MCU series slash anything I just adore WandaVision for a lot of reasons. It is just a very lovely show. Imperfect, but it's in its audacity and its complexity and its ambition. It's it's nothing like it on forget about the MCU. There's very little like it on television, period. Um from but I think just from a collective standpoint for me, this was um the best year in terms of just being a fan of these movies and the comics because the mcu entered this phase with the disney plus series that gave it a chance to finally really spread its wings and embrace um the possibilities and that culminated in this fantastic sequence that was part 
due to the delays of COVID and in part was inspired, uh, de- deliberate, you know, the, the decision to uh, reveal Kingpin and Daredevil and Spider-Man, you know, No Way Home and Hawkeye to, to coincide at the very end. That was deliberate. Um, and that was to give people this big crescendo to the year. It's been an ugly year outside of, you know, the movie theater and outside away from the TV show. So that was great. And, and I love it. And, and, um, I had, I don't think I've ever had more fun as a fan, um, of these movies and the comics and the whole world of it than I have this year. But what about you? Yeah. It's been an absolute crazy year, and you're right. It's just been such such a great roller coaster to be on. Um, I think my highs and lows, are, my highs are very similar to yours. One thing I was going to mention earlier, you know, like I have seen a bit of criticism of the final episode of Hawkeye. Maybe it didn't come together well, and I and you know, what I mean, I'm I, you know, I mean, I'll quote my th- sources. Some random Reddit comment. Um, <laughs> some random Reddit comment was. Someone said, well, like, people act like this Hawkeye thing's bad, like, oh, the, all the villains, you know, all the, like, henchmen and them just throwing arrows everywhere. Honestly, like, again, it's like I said earlier, maybe we've just had, we've had sort of rose-tinted glasses for the other finales. Because you could argue that the end of, the final episode of WandaVision turned into a bit of a CGI fest, um, and there wasn't this bigger reveal that we thought we would get. Mm-hmm. Um, the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier, for better or for worse, again, some of the Flag Smasher stuff didn't come together and got very political, which... I didn't have a problem with, but I know some people did. Um, and the end of Loki is essentially like a 30-minute monologue th- that people don't care about if you <laughs> aren't super tuned into all this stuff. Yep. So, debatably, we're looking at what if having the best finale, um, you know, yeah. um, compared to all the series. Like, And I'm not saying I agree with that, but I just thought it was an interesting point to make that I think, in retrospect, I think the Hawkeye series comes together quite well a little better maybe than some of the other series um, or at least it didn't it was a little less ambitious in terms of like scope so it didn't need to suddenly like mm-hmm. pull everything in in the last second because it was a simpler story um, yeah for sure so uh, and so my conclusion there is that I really can't tell you what the high was it's all been mm. one kind of big high probably I think film wise it has to be it has to absolutely be no way home yeah. it just can't be anything else um and I think I'm with you with WandaVision. I know, I think that's such a bit of a niche thing. I think a lot of people were like more interested in Loki. Um, and I think Hawkeye will make a few people's lists as well yeah. high up. Um, only because I think, yeah, I think WandaVision, you were either polarized by that first uh, first couple episodes. You either thought that was the most inventive genius thing ever, like we did, or uh, ambitious, or you thought it was weird and you probably didn't make it past the first three episodes. I know so many people that said, oh, I'm so glad I pushed through episode four, but it was such a slug. A slog. And I was like, um, I would have happily had just those episodes continue on. I would have too. I would have watched that for... I would have stayed in the sitcom. I would have stayed in the sitcom for weeks. I was perfectly happy with it. I do get where people are coming from with that, and it goes back to what we've been talking about with this. There's been this point of divergence in the MCU in your experience, both as just a viewer of the MCU, like if you have seen everything and you know anything, you can dive into WandaVision because you know the 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 story going in with Wanda and Vision. So you're 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 not going to resist the the weirdness of it so much. At the same way, with when He Who Remains appears in Loki as a comic book reader, you're primed for that. Or when Kingpin as a Netflix fan, you're primed for that. So that it's a different experience now. And I think that's the most fascinating thing about the MCU 
as it goes forward and, and matures and, and evolves is that there will be different levels to the MCU and there will be different levels of experience. And I wonder if that's going to become a problem, um, if it's going to interfere in any way in people's enjoyment of it. I've heard, I've had people tell me, friends of mine, that they feel like it started to become homework, like, you know, yeah. to keep up with stuff. And, and I don't feel that way because like, I, I feel like I've been doing the homework since I was five, but the you're just absorbing all of it but for some people they're just casual viewers and they haven't seen all of wanda they haven't actually seen any of these shows and then for no way home maybe they don't have when they walk into they they don't know who charlie cox is or maybe they don't know who andrew garfield is which shame on them but they don't yeah they may that it may not you know it just depends on your experience of it so i think we're in really uncharted waters with all that it'd be super interesting to see going forward how that sort of evolves and um yeah yeah and i think it it must be a tough fight for kevin feige and the whole team to know where those levels are to balance it especially considering you know out of all the properties this year eternals did the worst now uh shang chi did rather well so you know that there's obviously uh, you know, so they probably have both sides of the coin there. Sometimes you're going to introduce an original character and it's going to go off. Sometimes you're not going to. You're going to introduce an original character. It might not do as well. Um, yeah. So I think it's been a bit of a. You know, I loved Eternals, but I will say it like this: it's the only film I haven't rewatched in the in in cinema in of the, the MCU. Same. I always go see. Usually see them twice, maybe even three times in their run, and it's the only one that I've been like, oh, I needed to get to see that again. Oh, but I didn't. Oh well. It does have its fans. I know someone who saw it four times in the theater, and they absolutely love it, and, and I really enjoyed it, but I only saw it the once as well. And then um, one thing, you as you just mentioned, one thing that's also going to start happening in the MCU is we introduce all these new characters and shows in particular as we get into more niche characters and shows. and th- Some of these are just not going to work. So like Eternals... Um, it wasn't successful in the way that the other ones were. Um, and then some of these shows are not going to be successful either. And we're going to have more of that than we've had before. Um, and p- people will start to perceive that as the magic having worn off. That's not really what's happening. What's happening is is that some of the stuff starts to become inessential. And that's the biggest problem of the expansion of the MCU is that not all of it can possibly, one, work because the law of averages catches up to you, but two, not all of it can matter in the way that, you know, everything is just so important. So um, we're going to start to see that, and that'll be interesting to see how they navigate that. You know, like, will they, are we going to get Eternals too? I don't think so. Are we going to see those characters again? For sure. Um, but yeah, it's just Especially – con- mm-hmm. uh- yeah, no, no, you're hundred percent right. Those we will see those characters again. Like, whether yeah, you're right. That will we get Eternals two, or that you know, are we going to get Black Knight spins off into Blade, mm-hmm. and then other members of the Eternals spin off into their own miniseries or whatever? And it's hard to know. And even if there's there there is an Eternals two, like you think about Doctor Strange did, is probably one of, is one on the lower end of mm-hmm. MCU grossing movies. It we have gotten an entire Spider Man trilogy in between his films. Yeah, what is so it? Now we're getting his sequel. Five or six years between the movies, yeah. Five or six, 2016 or 17, I believe, was yeah. um, was Doctor Strange. So five or six years, but in saying that, him being in Infinity War, in Endgame, in No Way Home, has only added to the character, and people, like, love him now. People are all about him. 
so many people have caught up and then said, I didn't watch Doctor Strange. And then I finally watched it like last week and I'm really into it. You know, like it, it gives people time to catch up. And that might happen with Eternals. It might turn into this little indie gem within, sure. um, within the MCU that people then want more. And maybe they'll have, and we've got a packed schedule coming up. Um, people are excited for Thor 4, for Doctor Strange 2. Spider-Man 4 is going to eventually get on the way. John Watts is going to jump onto Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. We've got, uh, you know, all the series, uh, all the other, t- all the other movies are escaping me. Um, oh, the Marvels, the um, Marvels, Black, you know, Black Panther. We've got so much good stuff. There's a point where you're like, well, where are they going to take this risk on Eternals again? Where are they going to take a risk for Eternals two or Eternals, whatever the the title is? Um, and that might be a little while yet. It could be, but you make a great point about Doctor Strange. They, they, that was a movie that was, I think, creatively and commercially challenged. But they turned him into one of the most essential, if not the most essential, right now at this moment, as the multiverse sort of comes into the fore. Character in the MCU, I have a feeling that movie, the um, in the multiverse of madness, is going to do gangbusters. Um, yes, so it's going to be very successful. Which is- so. And here we are. The box office for that was six hundred and seventy-seven million for the first one, oh, that's which is like, bad at all. <laughs> you know, nothing to turn your nose up. But you know, when a lot of them are making a billion, then you know, is the, is is it? Surely they must prioritize that if something makes a billion, that they they put a little bit like yeah, a little bit more on that. I think the momentum coming out of No Way Home and the fact that Wanda is going to feature so prominently in this movie that the the new movie. Multiverse of Madness is, is going to do very well. And I also think it's just going to be a good movie. It's Sam Raimi. Um, I think people are super excited about it. There appear to be some major connections to What If um, that I think are super exciting. And, and I think this is maybe going to be more of the movie I personally thought No Way Home was going to be, which I thought No Way Home, and now I know, I know I'm getting way afield now, but I thought No Way Home was going to be the sort of, we're going to blow the doors off the multiverse. That's really going to be Doctor Strange, but um yeah but uh so i'm super excited i'm excited about next year we're gonna next year's gonna be nuts 2023 is gonna be nuts and then we got all these i don't even know how many shows there's so much to look forward to so much to be excited about and you know like i said this was insane it's insane it's it's a great year to be a fan next year hopefully it'll be even better so yeah, it's just an absolute thing. I'm just trying to look up what we've got coming next, you know. Yeah. So we've got Multiverse of Madness, but in, then we've got Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. That's 2022. 23, we're looking at the Marvels. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we're also going to get the Holiday Special before then. Yes. And the I Am Groot series. Yeah. Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, which I always forget about, but I'm so excited for. And Fantastic Four. So, like... They haven't even announced that. Like it always sounds like they announce loads, and then you actually look at the list, and you're like, "Man, that's only like yeah. next year and the year after." There's a couple movies that don't have dates. Fantastic Four is one of them. That that's going to be a 2023 movie unless something's changed. Uh, Spider-Man Four will be 2023 unless something has changed. We don't know yet. We'll find out here in a minute um, what they're going to yeah. do vis-a-vis that and the scheduling. Um, and then there's another movie I'm thinking of that I'm blanking on that's out there somewhere. Uh, and that point you, you read them all off there, but maybe, I don't know. There's, there's so much stuff. Uh, and then so many series and, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's fantastic. It's a great, it's, it's a great time to be a fan. It's a great time to be a comic book nerd. The conversations this past year plus, but definitely in 2021 in the comic book shop have been 
some of the most interesting in a long time, just because, especially if you grew up like I did in the 80s and you were reading these comics, John Walker, Vision and Scarlet Witch, uh, that type stuff back in the 80s when this was all happening, that these shows have been based on, to see those stories come back now in the way the white vision from West Coast Avengers, to see these stories come back now the way that they have is just really kind of cool. So It's insane. Um, and then, yeah, but we've got a bit of a gap now. So we're looking at May for um, Multiverse of Madness, and I thought we thought we'd have Miss Marvel quite soon, but they have pushed that back to mid-2022. Like, there was a promo the other day that said summer 2022. Um, oh, dear. So we're probably looking at a sort of July release date. So we're actually, yeah, Doctor Strange is the next thing we're going to get, so... Oh, May. I don't like that. I don't like that either. I feel like uh, we yeah. should... Uh, we're almost halfway Kevin, through the year. We've got to send Kevin an email and be like, hey, <laughs> you know, that's too How long. Dare you? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you leave us for five months without content after you've spoiled us this entire year. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that I think that will, after all that, that will do it for this episode of the Movie News Network. If you like the show, want to help us out, make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share it with your friends. Darby, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on my website, uh, DarbyHorn.com. You can find uh, my books and writing there, and then on Twitter, at DarbyHorn. And you can find me on Twitter at new underscore Macca, M-A-C-C-A. If you like this podcast, try out The Resistance Broadcast. It's a show by our sister site, Star Wars News Net. It goes deep into a discussion about a galaxy far, far away. 